Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 10. Hebrews 4, 1 to 10. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we, which have believed, do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, God, he limiteth, a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into His rest, God's rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Father, this morning we work in an area of biblical truth and application most needed in the generation in which we do live. Help us then, by thy blessed indwelling spirit, to understand and to appropriate the words of an active rest, or a rest that is followed by godly activity, lest we miss the point of the blessedness of, on one hand, the finished work of Christ, in which we do rest, and on the other hand, a life of active faithfulness lived out, worked out, day by day. Give us understanding of the concept as it's presented in the text. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. An adolescent boy had been pestering his mother for the better part of a day to go with his friends. Dad overheard the conversation and the relentless relentless nag of his son towards his mother. And the dad said to the boy, give it a rest. The dad said it in that fatherly tone, never to be mistaken as a suggestion. And the boy 
wisely ceased, stopped, rested. The word rest is found eight times in the ten verses just read. And the particular Greek word translated rest in each one of these occasions means to put a thing to rest or to rest, as in give it a rest. The same word is found twice in our text back in the third chapter, verse 11 and verse 18. The same word is also found once after our text in verse 11 where it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall under the same example of unbelief. That's for next week. Now, while the English word rest is found 275 times in the Bible, the Greek word for rest is only found here in these 11 occurrences in Hebrews 3 and 4 and two other places in the book of Acts. So you literally have all of the occurrences of this particular brand of rest, as in, give it a rest. They're all right here in our text. Just as two Old Testament events were cited in chapter 3 to underscore the danger of the heart when hardened in unbelief, Now, two more events in the record of the Old Testament are brought to bear on the subject of entering into God's appointed rest in Jesus Christ our Lord. The rest, or the cease of God after six days of creation, and the rest, or the cease of Joshua after the fighting days of faith in the land of promise, are brought to bear upon the rest and the cease of the Christian, the rest of creation, the rest of conquest. Help us to understand the believer's rest in Christ. And so you have reference to creation rest, conquest rest, and Christ rest, or our rest, as it were, in Christ. Now, there's a couple of things here in the text that deserve our attention before we proceed. First is the simple matter that the names Jesus and Joshua are exactly the same in the Greek. Exactly the same. Context demands that we understand the Jesus of chapter 4, verse 8, in reference to Old Testament Joshua, not to our Lord Jesus. Now, I can argue that uh, if you read it as Jesus the Lord, uh, you'll still have the truth of the text, although you'll miss uh, the way in which it's being used. Verse 8 says, For if Jesus had given them rest, then he would have not afterwards spoken of another day. And in in fact, when the Lord Jesus was on the earth in the first advent, he invited disciples uh, to take his yoke upon them uh, with the promise that he would bring to their souls rest. Speaking of rest as a, as a future thing or a common thing or a, or a thing for people uh, as it related to the currency of the first advent. But actually, uh, upon context, it's quite clear that verse 8 is talking about Joshua, or if you will, Old Testament Jesus, 
not New Testament Jesus. Secondly, we need to hear about the Lord's rest as referenced here in this text in the same way that we correctly hear the Bible admonition, wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord does not mean that you sit around doing nothing as time passes by looking for God to do something. No, waiting on the Lord involves the aspect of an eager anticipation from the Lord while remaining spiritually active. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean you do nothing. Waiting on the Lord is not void of activity. And the same truth that needs to be explained when you hear the Bible admonition, wait on the Lord, applies to the Bible word rest, as it is found here. When God rested on the seventh day from creating all things, he did not stop being active in sustaining and the providential care of his creation. He did and does sustain. And so after a sense of cease and stop and giving it a rest relative to creating things, God was phenomenally and perpetually active. He came to Adam and Eve before sin. He came to Adam and Eve after their disobedience and sin. God ceased from creating things, but he continued to sustain. God ceased from creating things, but once, when once man sinned, the work of redemption kicked into full gear. God's rest was, God's rest is, by no means, static inactivity. In complement of that concept is the second illustration of the text when Joshua, the successor to Moses, verse 8, led the Israelis in the conquest of the land of promise. The nation came to a point of rest from the many battles that were fought in the general sense. But Joshua gave exhortation to the people to, quote, love the Lord, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, cleave unto him, serve him with a whole heart and soul. Joshua 22, verse 5. Rest in the days of conquest was never about inactivity, nor about just entering into the land of promise, but living right when once in the land. The Old Testament people under Joshua never experienced the total sense of living rest and activity. That is why God, through the prophets, continued to speak of rest in a different way, in a different dimension, even as it's talked about in verse 9. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. And then just one more thing by way of uh, this extended setup of these 10 verses. Note again the time-related word today in verse 7. Again, God limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden 
not your heart. The logic here builds upon the present sense of the believer's opportunity today. In this light of the warning of the former heart-hardening and unbelief, this emphasis continues in application as an admonition concerning the aspect of believers as to those that have entered the rest but should be living after its rest as presented. And that is brought to bear by the opening admonition, let us therefore fear. Verse 1, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of This text is about the rest that is found in Christ based upon his accomplishment, based upon his finished work, based upon his finished activity. And yet Christ who finished his saving work at Calvary's cross ever lives to make intercession for us according to the will of God. He, out of that rest, is active. And the basic element of application of this text not only speaks to the unsaved man to find his rest in Christ, to find his salvation in the finished work of Christ, but also a challenge to the saved individual to not fall short of the promise of that rest by means of today's inactivity or today's spiritual lethargy, or today's neglect. And that brings us, of course, to the concern that is raised at the top of the fourth chapter concerning fear, the danger. What exactly here is the Hebrew uh, uh, believers of the first century to fear uh, becomes instructive to us concerning uh, the elements of God's promise that are yet unfulfilled or not yet presently being enjoyed. What am I saying? I'm saying this. <laughs> the text preaches to both the unsaved and the saved because there are elements of shortcoming. There are elements of coming short that certainly can be applied to the idea of salvation and thereby not saved. And then there are elements of shortcoming that can be applied to uh, the saved as it relates to walking with the Lord in the light of his word and bearing the fruit of the spirit. And so what exactly are we to fear? We're to fear lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. There is danger in coming short. Just like the jump shot at the buzzer that falls short off the rim, we are warned of coming short of God's appointed rest in Jesus Christ our Lord. This danger is raised in connection to 
a specific time, namely today. Don't come short today. In the whole, the passage is saying, don't come short today. Now, on one hand, we can preach the gospel truth, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, if they do not exercise faith, they will never be saved. They will never enter into the rest of the Lord as accomplished on the cross. But then for those of us that have entered into his rest, like the Jewish nation that entered into the land of promise and yet had to fight and to settle and to find their way to live, the believer may well, too, come short of that promised rest in regards to being saved today or living over the power of sin today. And so it applies, the text applies in both prongs of emphasis, both to the unsaved, saying, be saved today by faith in the Lord Jesus, and to the saved by saying, be faithful today. By trusting the Lord Jesus. There's a danger to the saved and the unsaved. The danger to the unsaved is eternal damnation and without relationship to God. The danger of the saved is loss of reward and a life of testimony and victory before the Lord's return. There's a danger. I would like to argue that this text presents the thought that there is a danger for every one of us, regardless of our spiritual status, saved or unsaved. Certainly those that are saved are in a glorious position, having trusted the Lord, but nonetheless there's a danger, once you're saved, of living a life of lethargy or neglect, or, as we will say it in just a moment, inactivity. Now, the second thing we point to here is the designation of that greater day of rest than was the case of Old Testament Joshua, as is talked about in verse 7. Again, he, God, limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart. He, God, limiteth a certain day, is the phrase we're interested in. The word limiteth is from the Greek horizo, from which we get our English word horizon. God has set the sunrise and the sunset of our salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. The sunrise of salvation and the sunset of our salvation is set in Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, just like the Sabbath rest of God after creation, and just like the rest of Joshua after conquest, the rest that is found in Jesus Christ involves both a finished work and an ongoing activity. Let me say that one more time. The rest found in Christ involves a finished work, his, and an ongoing activity, ours. Resting in Jesus prompts a very active life. 
resting in the Lord prompts a very active life. The designation of salvation's horizon set in Christ. Number three, the definition of rest remaining for the people of God is talked about in verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There's remaining for those that have entered into rest, the rest of Christ and his finished work on the cross by faith, an ongoing activity in faithfulness. Now commentators will flat wear you right out in this section of God's word, trying to make this rest in Christ uh, exclusively fit the unsaved or exclusively to fit uh, the saved person. And, and listen just how simple all of this is stated in other places of Scripture. Like, quote, you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, yet created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Please do not miss the next statement. The rest eternally associated with Jesus Christ cannot be entered by good works on our part. But neither can it be enjoyed without good works on our part. The current sense of rest we speak of here is ever to be associated with the finished work of Christ on the cross. Thus we sing, Jesus paid it all. But the logic... Here is exactly as we sing it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And that debt of mine, that debt of yours, is not a legal debt. It's a debt of love. In return to God, who loved us first. The rest in Jesus Christ like the rest of creation and the rest of conquest is distinguished by a flurry of ongoing activity on God's part and on ours. Have you ever heard somebody speak of heaven in the terms of laying around on clouds like marshmallows and plucking harps rather than pianos. I mean, to hear some people talk about what's the future for believers, I'm not sure I'd want to go. May I remind you that God is never inactive. And God has not created us in his image to be inactive. It's one of the reasons why at worship I kind of enjoy the squirm of a child and even the noise of a baby. I'd rather hear a baby cry in worship than I would watch you sleep 
I mean, I'm just telling you it's personal, but I just feel that way about it. I, I don't mind a baby. I can outshout a baby any day of my life. I ain't worried about some kid crying. And if that kid crying, he might just be bothering the person down the pew enough that they actually stay awake for once. That'd be good. That'd be good. How many of you know the old song? You have to be old to know it. But how many know the old song, Beautiful Dreamer? If you ever took piano lessons, if you ever took lessons of any music kind, there's also a beautiful dream. I rewrote the words to that one time uh, and sang it at church. Beautiful dreamer, I see you sleeping in pew number three. Sleeping in church is not for a deacon, especially when I am up here preaching. I mean, I just wrote the words and sang it in church because of sleeping deacons. I mean, it just is kind of nutty sometimes in the context. But rest, like wait in the Bible is in no way detached from activity. The rest of creation, God rested on the seventh day, cease. And thereby God's activity in sustaining and saving commenced. Uh, Joshua ceased in the days of conquest. And that was followed by a flurry of activity and honoring God and worshiping God and and enjoying the land as promised by God. And the rest that the believer's soul can find in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is logically and morally compelling to be active and not static or lethargic or sleepy. Which brings us to number four, the demand here logically applies to unwashed sinners and, and blood-washed saints. To the unwashed sinner, we say, enter into God's salvation rest by means of the finished work of Christ on the cross. To the blood-washed saint, we say, enjoy the experience of redemption's rest by diligent effort and good works as appointed in Christ. Our message to the unsaved man is faith in Christ. Our message to the saved man is faithfulness to Christ. The rest of Jesus Christ cannot be entered into by good works, and it cannot be enjoyed without them. Thus James says it, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. And James said, I will show you my faith by my works. Some people here can correctly say that they have found their rest in Christ. They know that they're saved from the penalty of their sins. But some people here can also say correctly that they have found their rest in Christ today. That's different than saying I'm saved. To say I found my rest in Christ today means it's current. It's real. I got it today. It's just not a, a thing of the past. It's just not I believed. It is I believe. And it's associated with today. You've often heard me speak of the currency of these things. Those that can speak of Rest today are those being saved from the power of sinfulness all around them by walking with God faithfully. 
both the ones that are saved and the ones saved and being saved are able to expect salvation in the end. But only the second group, saved and being saved, has any prospect of the Lord's reward. The danger of loss is real for the unsaved man. We are right to warn the unbelieving of eternal consequence. But we are also right to warn God's flock of consequence associated with a lack of currency of faith and faithfulness relative to today. Please hear me out on this. Failures in faithfulness not only deprive you of an enriched earthly experience, but will deprive you of a future reward. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, where we read this morning in the first hour, by way of scripture reading, I wrote these words, bear your cross or incur your loss. Bear your cross or incur your loss. There's real danger in not knowing the Lord. Everybody should be able to say amen to that. But there's real danger in knowing the Lord and being lethargic and being negligent and being inconsistent and being on again and off again. There's danger in that. And the danger is not only for now, as it relates to a sense of enjoying the salvation that the Lord has provided, but the aspect of reward in the future. Let every person understand that salvation from sin and eternal death is exclusively by the grace of God through faith. And let everyone who has placed their faith in Christ live faithfully to Christ. It really matters now and in the future as to how you live. This is a generation of restlessness in the world, and we might expect that. In fact, the restlessness of the world gives us opportunity to share the good news of Christ. But sadly, this is not only a day of restlessness in the world, this is also a day of restlessness in the church. When people are anything but settled in their godly routines that produce stability and consistency and testimony for the Lord. Listen, do not miss the opportunity of the Lord's rest today. If you're unsaved, trust the Lord. Put your faith in Christ. If you're saved, trust the Lord for today. Continue to trust him. Continue to walk with him. Continue to respond to him in the power of his might. I find it so interesting that back in the 37th Psalm, there is a putting together of the two words that need a lot of biblical explanation, namely rest and wait. 
Psalm 37 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Two things, Psalm 37, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And if your idea of waiting the Lord is picking your nose, you got the wrong idea. And if your idea of rest in the Lord means uh, you can just lay back and coast spiritually, you got the wrong idea. The rest in the Lord and the wait for the Lord is indeed active, not inactive. Neither rest nor wait in the Bible are inactive, but both rest and wait in the Bible are responsive. And based upon our response to God this morning, we ought to expect in ourselves and each other a flurry of activity to the glory of God. Father, continue to help us